0: And then we talk about, you know, well, that's just the prosperity gospel. We hear that because, and and we and it has this negative context to it. But I'm telling you, man, you look at Scripture, and everywhere it says God wants you to prosper. And again, we talked about this last year in a sermon. It's just that our definition is not God's definition about prosperity. Uh, that's, the, that's the problem. The problem is we, we misdefine what God's prosperity looks like. And we're going to talk about that a little bit today. But but I just want you to know, man, I've been into a lot of houses in my day. I've been into a lot of businesses in my day. And I've been into a lot of four and five thousand square foot homes that that were just like immaculate. Had a BMW in the driveway, brand spanking you with a Mercedes in the driveway. Walked into the house. There wasn't any dining room furniture. There wasn't any living room furniture. And they were absolutely maxed out financially where they couldn't take care of themselves if one of them died for anything. Because they had just totally spent it. And so what we're going to talk about today is God's got this redeeming plan for you. And that plan is for you to prosper and not to harm you. End of story. He wants you victorious and he wants you prosperous. Can we get a big amen on that? Okay, so in that prosperity message to you, there is a redeeming quality that you need to understand. You see, how he makes you prosperous is he redeems you. He takes your dysfunction and he teaches you kingdom, and as you respond to kingdom, it makes you prosper. That's the the gospel, and and you can't eliminate finances from that gospel. The reason I say that is this. There's a passage of Scripture that Jesus says. He says, you know, you can't serve God and money. You're going to serve one or the other. You can't serve both. It's impossible. So you better learn how to serve God, right? Right? And not money. And, and so there's obviously a difference. What I want to help us do is to discover the difference. Now, I want to go ahead and make this bold statement. And that is this. Tithing. Tithing with a bad attitude out of just this idea that he's going to make me or I have to. This obligation, even though God says test me on this, he doesn't say test me on this with a bad attitude. He says with this idea that, that he might bless you or, or that or, or it is some semblance of an act of worship, bring your tithe, okay? So I just wanted to say I don't want you tithing with a bad attitude, what Jacob did. Jacob said, God says, I'm going to bless you, man. I'm going to bring all this stuff to you. This is what I'm going to do to your family. This is what I'm going to do to your family. And Jacob, with enthusiasm, goes, oh, my goodness, God. You're such a good God. You're going to pour all this out of me. I know you're going to give it to me, but I'm going to give you back a tithe out of worship. See, your tithe is an act of worship. Knowing that God provides everything. It's not this obligation, a demand that the church has on its people, but it's a burden. And if it ever is looked at like that, I don't know that it has, I can't say because I'm not God, but I don't know that it has the potential to bless. Because God God says the the, the plans of man and the ideas of man are right in his own mind, but God looks at the, Heart it's all heart, so heart, but he does ask for it, okay, so we're going to start there but 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 God's not wanting to do that, what he wants you to do is he wants you to understand that you can do nothing without God <coughs> when it comes to spiritual gifts, y'all can can y'all tell I'm fired up about this when it comes to spiritual gifts. I mean, we all have personality traits. You may have administration. You might, you might be a strategist. You might be an engineer kind of guy. You might be an accounting kind of woman. You know, there's all, all kinds of different personality traits that we have, whether we're saved or not. There are ways that God made you that you have gifts that are amazing. How many of you know people who are atheists that have amazing gifts? Yeah. All right, so, so when you think about God's amazing gifting towards people, you have to understand that God says, I've created you, I've got these plans for you, but you can't do them without me because when I get a hold of you, there's going to be an anointing that comes on your life that you're going to be able to do exceedingly abundantly above all you could ask or think. There's this anointing of God that comes on you, even in your gifting, that gives you supernatural ability to understand and to do the things of God. When he says, when he says, uh, when they, even when they made the temple, when they built the temple and the articles of the temple, it says they brought craftsmen, skilled craftsmen. Said, go out and you get all the skilled craftsmen. When they, when they brought Judah, they said, get all the skilled musicians. And it says, and the anointing of God came upon them. Yep. And they were able to create this thing in a way that God wanted it created perfectly. And see, and that's what it is about about our our finances. Now, now the reason this is so important to me, I don't care how successful you are. Wouldn't you agree in business and in your personal life, if you don't re-examine where you are on a regular, You can find yourself lost quickly, can't you? A business always examines what they did last year, what they did well, what they didn't do well. They make adjustments, and they go into the new year year with new goals. And if you're a salesman, you always know they never decrease your goal, do they? It's always an increase. Oh, man, you had the best year you've ever had. What a great year you had. Let's get 10% more next year, would you? Oh, no, well, I had a better year yet last year. I mean, I, man, it came out of everywhere. I mean, it just kind of fell in my lap. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, let's get 10% more. I mean, businesses think that way, right? Because they're analyzing what they're doing. They're looking at the profit margins. They're doing all those kinds of things. God, in his process of your life, wants to take your dysfunction redeem it, and make you prosperous. And in that prosperity includes finances. You can see it with every person in the Bible. In, 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 in Jacob's case, which we're going to study today, you're going to see God just, he forms a nation called Israel out of Jacob. Jacob's family was one of the most dysfunctional families in the Bible. And it's amazing how God uses a 20-year period to bring that dysfunction into prosperity. And we're going to kind of walk down that road today, but you're going to see that it is a financial thing as well. But it's not going to have your definition on it. But before we get into that, it's kind of a teaser. Before we get into that, I want to give you some facts just just to let you know how people are. In America, and how important it is to recognize the fact that if you don't do things God's way, then there's going to be consequences. We we understand that that it is our decisions and our doing that causes the problems that we have. Would you agree? It is it, how we we handle it, and we and we see that in America uh, there are. A lot of dysfunction when it comes to finance. Here's some statistics. More than 8 in 10 are concerned about a lack of savings. 71% fear they don't have enough money to cover their expenses. 71%. And another 7 in 10 think they won't have enough money for retirement. The average American household with credit card debt carries a whopping $16,048 balance from month to month. The median work age couple in America only had $5,000 stashed away for retirement in 2013. According to an analysis of the Federal Reserve data by economists so-and-so and 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 so-and-so of the Economic Policy Institute, he says figures show that around 43% of couples had no retirement savings at all. A further analysis says that the Economic Policy Institute shows that the average American couple in their 50s or late 50s or early 60s had $17,000 saved in a retirement plan such as a 401k or an IRA. A 2015 report from the Federal Reserve showed just how fragile America household incomes and budgets really are. Nearly half of of American households, 47%, said they couldn't come up with $400 to cover any type of emergency if they had it. Ah. The condition of the American family. Now, I didn't say that to get you all depressed. If that's where you are, God doesn't want you to be depressed. If you're not that way, God doesn't want you to gloat. God wants you to be an example to those around you on how to do it righteously. And to bless your employer. So what you're going to find is that God not only prospers you, he prospers everybody you're around because of you. If you're in kingdom. If you're in kingdom. Let me give you (laughs) five upside-down reasons we're broke. (laughs) <laughs> you guys got too quiet. It was really good there for a minute, and I started talking about all these numbers. Y'all were like, "Oh no!" All right, this is this is actually an, an analysis from the, uh, the 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 team, the Simple Dollar, and it 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 it's it's actually about themselves. And so this is great that they can talk about themselves, and and they can say, "This was my problem." Maybe it'll help you. And so. The number one reason that they were upside down and broke was because they couldn't afford their lifestyle. The biggest realization we had to make was that we couldn't afford the lifestyle we were living. When you're spending every dollar you earn and then some, that's really the only way to describe it is that you can't afford your lifestyle. The reason number two is that we were selfish. Selfish. Realizing that you're selfish is probably the worst feeling in the world, but it might be what it takes to turn your situation around. When you're financing splurges instead of saving money for the future and your family, you're being selfish whether you want to admit it or not. Reason number three, we were wasteful. Tracking your spending and learning to create a budget can be an extremely eye-opening experience. For us, it was even more since it taught us how incredibly wasteful we were being. When we first finally tracked our expenses, we discovered we were spending $1,000 or more on food every month. Worse, hundreds of those dollars were being spent dining out, mostly just for convenience sake and not necessarily for enjoyment of it. Identifying how wasteful you're you your being might make you want to puke. <laughs> but the I'm reading this. I didn't say this. But but it's really good, isn't it? But the only way to cut our waste out is to stare it in the face. And when you learn to waste less, it becomes that much more easy to save. So the third reason was that we're wasteful. Number four, we're, we're doing everything backwards. Here's the biggest realization we need to make and that they made. By and large, we were managing our finances in an exact opposite way we should have been. Instead of prioritizing debt repayment and savings, then figuring out how much we could spend on our wants, we paid for everything we wanted first and then figured out how to take care of the rest, often not very successfully. This is the main reason most American families absolutely suck at money. That's what this says right here. Instead of putting our most important goals and priorities first, we put wants like cable television, new cars, beach vacations, above all else, and leave our retirement and savings account to make do with the scraps. We, convenience ourselves, we convince ourselves that if we, came up with, if we come up with the money to cover something, we can afford it. Unfortunately, we prioritize creative comforts over savings, and we wind up paying for it in the worst ways. So number four, we were doing everything backwards. Number five, we were blaming other people. My husband and I spent many years wishing we could just get a better raise at work. If we could just earn more money, get a better benefit package, or score a better Christmas bonus, we could finally get ahead. After a while, though, we realized it didn't matter how much money we made. If we couldn't make progress with what we already earned, more money wouldn't do do us any good. Our list of wants kept growing along with our incomes anyway, a phenomenon known as lifestyle inflation. So what would an extra $5,000 a year do to make things better? Obviously, nothing. If we want to change, we had to change from within. After all, no amount of money will help you save if you're bent on spending at all. Somebody say Hallelujah. <laughs> Now let me tell you a story. This is a personal story, but I think it's I think it might help you it's, This is not an easy thing I mean, this is not an easy subject. When I first got in ministry, Liz and I had some credit card debt, and I think we had a car payment. I'm not sure exactly what we had but but we weren't getting paid very much and so and so we didn't seem like we were actually you know getting getting anything accomplished on getting that debt paid down. We seemed like we were paying our minimum payments. We weren't late on anything. We just weren't getting anywhere, and we weren't saving any money. And so I could either buy into that idea that that's okay, or I could buy in, and I realized that I was was motivated by kingdom finances, so I knew that I was a slave to that debt. And it was playing out in my life. I could see it playing out in my life. And I had an option. I had a choice. We all have choices. We all have options. I could just stay where I was and pridefully not ask for help. Or I went to a buddy of mine who was an accountant. His name's Billy Condit. I said, Billy, here's what I, here's what I got going on. I said, you know, we, we, make, we make pretty decent money. It's, you know, it's not a lot, but, I mean, we, we, we make enough. We're not spending more than we got, but we just can't get this debt paid off, and we really want to get it paid off. I said, can you help me? He said, man, I'd be glad to. And so what we did, we, we made two accounts. We, we made two checking accounts. And what we did is we we put 20% of our income every week, every time we got paid, in the one checking account. And we put 80% of what we made in the other checking account. Guess which one Billy had? He had the 80. We had the 20. Everything we did was bought out of and if we couldn't eat and buy gas with our twenty percent, we we <laughs> we didn't go anywhere and we didn't eat because all we had was that twenty percent. You know, we paid off all our debt within a year. Boom, it was gone. Now here's the point I want to make. I'm not. I'm. I, I, I'm just. Here is where I succeeded. I did something about it. Yeah. I made a decision that for for. For gone, for went, whatever. Pride. I, I just I didn't allow pride to keep me from being successful and aligning with God's word. And you can do it too, but you got to make a decision. I'm done living like this. This is not what God intended. It's dysfunction. Maybe it's learned behavior, but you've got to understand you've got to understand that that it's you're you're not a product of your circumstances That's right. you're a product of your decisions That's right. That's right. That's right. and once you get a hold of that, you can start making decisions. That'll make you successful. And that's aligning with God. God says, you make the decision to follow me, and I'm going to bring victory. Let's let's go to, I've got got Genesis, and and I've got chapter 30 kind of plugged in. Genesis 30-ish. The reason I say ish is because it's the story of Jacob. And I'm just going to talk to you a minute about the story of Jacob. And we, and we can see all kind of biblical stuff in, in Jacob. And, and you're going to go have to go home and read it because the story of Jacob is long. I mean, it's like, it's really long. Because it's the, it's the founding of Israel. But I'm going to try to give you this story if you can follow with me and not go to sleep. Uh, if you can follow along with me, I'm going to give you some stuff, and I'm just going to show you how dysfunctional this family was and what God wanted to do with it, and, and, and how he did it, and, and what he wants to do with you. Listen, God wants you, no matter where you are, no matter how old you are, he wants, to, wants you to break the generational chain of dysfunction in your family, adopting Kingdom, so that the next generation can see you doing it righteously. I mean, there's no doubt. I can say that's the will of God for you. It's the will of God for me, and so what you see with Jacob is you see that even even from his his namesake, it means it means surplanter, Jacob, the one the one who is a deceives and 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 takes something that's not his. So what his name means. And, and you see him taking his, his brother's birthright, Esau, and his mother's in cahoots with him because his mother favored him, the second born, over the first born. You can see that happening with Mama. And so Mama helps design this, this deceptive plan to fool Daddy. And Daddy blesses the younger son over the older son. And it causes really big problems. To the point that mama says, Jacob, you better get out of here because Esau's gonna kill you. So why don't you go to my brother's house and, and and wait there? And so and so Jacob leaves, goes to his brother's house after he's seen all this model, and he shows up and 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 he shows up at his brother's house and and he then he then he sees Rachel. I love, I love the Bible. The Bible says Leah had a great personality, but Rachel looked really good. <laughs> That's really kind of what it says. <laughs> and Jacob loved Rachel. <laughs> That's just real as it gets, isn't it? <laughs> and so and so he goes, ha, I got to have that. What's it going to take? And Laban says, ah, oh, I like your lineage. That's good, what you bring to the table, that's good. Well, if you work for me seven years, seven years seven years to deal. So Jacob says, deal, seven years. So he works for seven years, and, and he gets married. And I don't know how this happened, but he wakes up the next day, and it's not Rachel. It's Leah, and he's mine. Think about how Leah feels in all this. I mean, I, 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 my heart goes out for Leah because it, it's a mess. And, and so, guess what? Je- uh, guess what? Laban did. He he deceived. It's in the family, y'all. It's, this is entrenched. He deceives Jacob, makes him work for seven years for for Leah. Because it is the tradition of the Jews for the first daughter to be married off first. He can't give Rachel away without giving Leah away. So he gives Leah first, and he makes a deal. He says, you can go through your wedding week. So a week later, he says, you can work for, for Rachel for another seven years. I'll give you her too." So the deal is now he's working for 14 years in this deceptive mode. And, and, he, and he does that. And then, and then he's ready to leave and he makes him, he says, hey, I, I've, everything, everything that you have done has proper. Matter of fact, in Genesis chapter 30, verse 29 and 30, it says this, Jacob said to him, you yourself know how I've served you and how your livestock has fared with me, for you had little before I came, and it has increased abundantly. Everybody say abundantly. abundantly. And the Lord has blessed you. Say that, and the Lord has blessed you wherever I turn, but now when shall I provide for my own household? And so he, he, he sets this deal up with Laban that he's going to increase his herds so that he can take care of his family, Right? Well, God, you know, there's a there's an interesting story there, and I don't I don't know exactly how to explain this because I don't completely understand it. But 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 Jacob takes takes the spotted and the dark sheep and lambs, and he he cuts the bark off this tree and makes it makes it you know spotted, and when they come drink at the water, he sets that up. So they'll see himself spotted. And the only thing that I could take from this was this was God's creative way to put an image in the mind of the created animal, what they would be attracted to, because they went to it, they saw, they kind of saw themselves, and I guess they became attracted to that thing, and they did it with that thing so that they would reproduce from that thing, right? They would be attracted. Does that make sense? That's the only thing I can conclude, but it, it, it has validity in Scripture that this was God's pra- plan to get this done. And so what happens is, is Laban's herd doesn't increase that much, and Jacob's just prospers to the point where he leaves. And when he leaves, he, he makes Laban mad because he leaves in such wealth, and Laban kind of chases them. They get okay. But let me tell you something. Let me tell you something about this whole deceptive, dysfunctional situation. The Jews in in, in, uh, in, in Jewish theology kind of blame Laban for Israel's captivity to Egypt because of his deceit. Because the truth of the matter is, if he hadn't given Leah instead of Rachel, Joseph would have been the firstborn. But because he gave Leah and Leah conceived and had, had many sons prior to which are the ones who sold Joseph into slavery, even when daddy Jacob gave Joseph the honor of the firstborn even though he wasn't the firstborn. Y'all tracking with me in this? The coat of many colors, all the things that went on with who Joseph was. If it wasn't for Laban's deceit, Joseph would have never been in Egypt. But if it wasn't for Laban's deceit and, the, and what God did in those 20 years to show Jacob his sin and to transform into something different, He'd he'd have never brought Joseph into the place that Joseph became as a man who honored God. You see, there's a redeeming process. In the middle of that redeeming process, Jacob is prospering. And everything around him is prospering, yet he's going through hard times. Come on, he was in slavery for 20 years and called it prosperity. Joseph was captive in Egypt, and it says about Joseph that everything, that the Lord was with Joseph, and everything Joseph did prospered. And everybody, Pharaoh's house prospered. The bakeries prospered. Everything prospered that Joseph touched. Why? Because he was, he was with God. God was with him. Now let me just help you get this prosperity thing in, in, in right standing. Because it's not about the prosperity. It's about the presence. That's right. And the presence brings prosperity. That's right. It's when you submit to the way and the will of God that the prosperity comes. It's nothing you produce. It's what God produces through you. And so what you see with Joseph is, listen, I mean, Jacob, Jacob, he leaves and he gets right with Laban. And as soon as he does, he comes to this place called Bethel. And there's this, there's this ascending and descending of angels. And he, and he sees heaven and, and it's opened up. And he has this incredible encounter with Adonai. Adonai. He's, I'm here. I, I, I don't, I I, I'm going to I'm going to die. Because I see Adonai, and I, and I see heaven opening and, and ascending and descending. And he has this great encounter, and it says, and Esau, you need to get right with your brother. What's he going to do? He's going to bring reconciliation and redemption right off the bat. Yeah, right. And so he, he, he's having this encounter with God, so he's empowered to get reconciled with his brother. He gets reconciled with his brother. And then after he gets reconciled with his brother, he begins to move into the place of promise that he is going to occupy, and and this nation is going to occupy later. And as soon as he comes in there, he's got a daughter, and his daughter is raped by the people in that land. And And then his sons kill all the people in that land. You know what the Lord does? The Lord calls Jacob back to Bethel. And he has this other encounter with God. And it's in that encounter that God changes his name. You'll never be called uh, the supplanter again. You're going to be called Israel. Israel. Immediately they leave and go back to the place of promise. And the next thing in Scripture is Rachel dies. Rachel died in childbirth. But God is with him. He has an encounter with God. He reconciles with Esau. He's got all this stuff because he's going with God. But God's got this 20-year plan to redeem and reconcile Jacob. You know, God's got a lifelong plan to redeem and reconcile you to him. He wants to bring prosperity to you. He wants to change you from what you were to who you can become. And it's this prosperous process of prosperity. You can be prosperous in the process, but it's not without challenge. Right. You're going to face challenge after challenge after challenge. He loved Rachel. He loved Rachel. She died giving birth to Benjamin. Joseph is sold into slavery. Many believe because of Laban's deceit. Because if Joseph would have been the firstborn, his brothers wouldn't have hated him for getting all the benefits of the firstborn. Because it would have been normal. When Jacob had his second experience at Bethel, God begins to tell him all the blessings that he's going to pour out. And Jacob says to the Lord in an act of worship, if you do all this to me, Lord, it's just too good. I, I just can't believe that you're going to take somebody like me and you're going to do this amazing thing. And so I'm going to bring a tenth back to you, God, just to show you how appreciative I am of your blessing. You've got to serve God with your money. You can't serve your money and then add God. It can't work. No matter how it is. And, and God's a generous God. It's not just to the church. When I say the church, huh, I'm talking about to the tithe. The tithe is what you bring to the storehouse. it is the offering that you're, you're helping people. God is everywhere saying, if you see somebody in need and you don't help that need... You don't love your brother. There's so much in what God says about a generous giver and the ability to find someone. Listen, this is so important that he can flow through, that he can funnel resources through so that he can trust that you'll be a generous contributor to caring for the flock of God. It's it's in Scripture. It's the nature and the character of God. And this morning, as we look at this, let me me give you a couple. I studied Jonathan Edwards a lot this week, and so you're going to get like three Jonathan Edwards. Y'all ready for Jonathan? Anybody know who Jonathan Edwards is? He's an old dude. Matter of fact, he's a dead dude. He's a dead old dude. He's alive again because he's living in heaven. But he says this. He says, a true and faithful Christian does not make holy living an accidental thing. It is his great concern. As the business of the soldier is to fight, so the business of the Christian is to be like Christ. He said this also. How can you expect to dwell with God forever if you so neglect and forsake him here? He says this as well. He's made two resolutions. The first one, I will live for God, is resolution number one. Resolution number two, if no one else does, I still will. So today, here's the decision. In this new year, you have a new opportunity. There's a new season. There's a new wineskin for you to handle your money the way God asks you to. You you can revisit what you're doing. You can look at your spending. You can look at your saving. You see if you're being responsible. You can see if you're giving back to God as as an act of worship saying, I understand, God, that it all comes from you, and then I cannot give you, and that you're looking for a place where you can pour out on. I've got these skills. I've been trained. i got four years of college. i got six years of college. I have a doctorate. I've got all those things. I've educated myself. But I know that it's the anointing of God that brings the increase. And I understand that, and I'm going to worship you in that because I believe that you want to do exceedingly abundantly above all I could ask or think. I think you want to give me creative ways to redeem my dysfunction and in the process prosper me. I believe that. Well, what's the starting place? What's the the place that we we can go that we know uh, will move us from a place of dysfunction to blessing? I got four real quick. You've got to own your situation. Number one, you've got to own your situation. The blame game is over. It's not somebody else's fault. I'm in this condition I'm in because of the choices I've made. That's number one. Number two, you have to understand that it's God's will to redeem your situation. Period. End of story. That's his, that's his will. Number three, you have to understand that your doing reveals your heart tor- toward the ways of God. Your doing reveals your heart toward the ways of God. Number four, God will always be uniquely creative with you. He will always be uniquely creative with you. He probably won't let ha, have you take, take a, a bark off a tree to increase your wealth. He's got this hidden, creative way to bring prosperity to your house. You've got to discover it. I can't discover it for you. You have to be in relationship with God, believing God, doing the things to align yourself with heaven, serving God and not money, coming to a place where you say, God, I want to do my money kingdom, heavenly, and and, and help me move from the place I am to the place you want to redeem me from. You do that, God's gonna show up creatively. Let me let me just give you a couple of examples. God's not gonna, God doesn't bring us houses. He hides them in the trees. God doesn't bring you shoes, He hides them in the cow. You've got to hear the Lord and creatively build the kingdom of God in your life. And he'll do exceedingly, abundantly, above all you can imagine or think. Jacob, Israel, got to see Joseph and live like a king before he died. He got to see the promises of God as he began to build a nation through Joseph before he died. And he was a transformed man in the process. Father, in the name of Jesus, may we understand that we cannot compartmentalize. May we understand that it is impossible said by you, Adonai, to serve God and to serve money. You'll either hate the one and love the other or love the one and hate the other. Father, holiness is intentional. We ask for creative ideas not only to get our finances straightened out, to be conduits of what you want us to to give to the church and to give away. And Father, I pray that we would be conscious that you want to bless our employers because we work for them. I thank you for that. I pray in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen.